these DJIs, they're turned on with batteries. Uh, just a simple message from China to a satellite would activate every DJI drone in America to, to go do whatever it wants it to go do. Pictures, observations, ISR. Welcome to the Regulating AI podcast. Join host Sanjay Puri as he explores the dynamic and developing world of artificial intelligence governance. Each episode features deep dives with global leaders at the forefront of regulating AI responsibly, tackling the challenges using AI can bring about head-on and enabling balance without hindering innovation. Welcome to the Regulating AI podcast. Artificial intelligence, AI, stands at the forefront of technological evolution, with experts predicting that it could add trillions of dollars to our GDP, but it could also negatively impact our workforce and national security. So how do we regulate it without stifling innovation? Our podcast features insights from various perspectives, from industry leaders to government officials to advocacy groups. Together, they address pivotal questions that are needed to create practical legislation. Today, I'm very excited to have Timothy Bean, founder and CEO of Fortem Technologies. Fortem provides the world's leading autonomous flying robot, basically another drone that shoots down other drones, all autonomously without human interaction. He also has a background in software for national security. I invited him on this show as it is very important to get different perspectives towards framing AI legislation. And national security is a very important issue for us. Welcome, Tim. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Regulating AI podcast. Thank you, Sanjay. And thanks for having me. I look forward to uh, a vibrant discussion. So, Tim, as I mentioned, national security is a very important issue. And with your background, we really want to dive deep into it. So, Tim, the advancements that we see in AI technology that impact national security concerns, what key considerations should legislators bear in mind when they are framing this AI legislation? You know, there's so much going on, Tim, right now. You have hearings, you have discussions, you have listening sessions, you have an executive order. What are your thoughts in terms of national security as far as AI legislation is concerned? Yeah, thanks for asking that question. Super important question. And just to frame it for your audience, right? When we talk about national security and preventing war and keeping our freedoms and keeping our families safe, you go back to the 1800s, the world figured out how to deal with this invention called guns and then machine guns and then tanks and then airplanes. And heck, we figured out nuclear weapons. And this next advent is artificial intelligence and autonomy, robots, and people maybe not very well educated on the issue might think, well, why don't we just unplug it and it'll make it stop? And it's not that simple. And so governments have a huge challenge. You know, when we solved the nuclear weapons issue, you know, there were just a few world powers that you know had nuclear weapons and they got together and talked and created deterrence and treaties. With artificial intelligence and robotics, it's going to be a little different because Millions of people, individuals have access to all of that technology that can really impact a nation's security. And we can talk about some examples if you like, but your questions about legislatures, what should a legislature do now? And really it's about data and privacy. 
data is the gasoline that feeds the AI engines. And so I got some examples that can illustrate that, but my wife and I, we, we love Facebook. We use Facebook. We, we keep in touch with our friends with Facebook. It's a free service. And it's been said that if something's free, the product is you. <laughs> and uh, our data and everything about my wife and I is there for the world to consume and for Facebook to sell. And with the advent of AI, sadly, that's become a problem, having these free services that use our data. That data availability needs privacy needs to be regulated in the strongest way to keep us safe from those that would use AI in a harmful way. But Tim, if data is the key thing, the U.S. could not get a Data Privacy Act together. The EU did. And we have a patchwork of those legislations across many states, which is pretty complicated. So if data is the key thing, then what should legislators bear in mind when they're framing AI slash data kind of legislation? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, maybe I can illustrate it with something that helps people understand, you know, why does anyone care what I'm commenting on someone's Facebook or what I'm saying? Think of this, the technology exists and almost anyone can create it with a few hundred dollars off the internet. You can build a small drone, put a small camera on it and some, a little processor with some software to do spatial recognition. And you can put like a little explosive with a lead pellet on that drone. You can manufacture that for less than $100. The software exists for about 40K. You can buy it online to control four or 500 of these. And I'm not saying anyone's built this yet, but it's right there. You could fly this drone into a town, into, you fly it into the halls of Congress. Think of January 6th. Just fly these 200 drones in the halls of Congress. These drones would navigate the hallways and they'd fly up to everyone's faces. And if they saw a face that was of one party versus another, they would either pass or they would inflict harm on that uh, human being based on their political denomination. So surgically, you eliminate one whole side of the aisle. Think of China, Russia, et cetera, in the past dropping nuclear bombs and the great fear in that destruction. The world has shifted with AI where you can drop millions of tiny, inexpensive drones for a quarter of the cost of building a nuclear weapon that would fly throughout New York City. And those drones would surgically, based on the data they've collected in that small chip and controlled by AI bots, it would eliminate people that were, I don't know, pro-Israel or pro-Palestinian or whatever political issue they were solving for. And so you're talking about the new battlefield of surgical capabilities and I'm being futuristic here, but that's the power of AI. And that's the reason your data matters. Your data gives evil people power. And we can talk about what's happening in China with AI and the social scores there in China with controlling people's behaviors and attitudes. So basically what you're talking about, Tim, is the swarms of drones are using facial recognition and data coming at us, right? Yeah. So I think data is something that you can easily regulate that would then not feed these systems. And so it's as simple as saying Instagram, Facebook, Google Mail, Yahoo Mail, it's all free. Sorry, you have to pay $9 a month now for those services. 
and uh, you know Yahoo, Facebook, Google. You can't sell the data on the back end. That's where they make their money is they sell their data to uh, the Gap. Uh, I don't know if the Gap's still around the malls. I'm an older guy, but they they sell who gets the most likes based on what people are wearing and things to stores to figure out what to buy. So your data and all these apps is super valuable. And that data, petabits of data a day, is something that companies and governments can license. Facebook just doesn't make all their money off of advertising. And so all of that data feeds into these systems to make them all powerful. Imagine a battlefield where you know everything about everybody and what they think and what's happening. And you have the robotics, the autonomy, the AI to solve these things in super high speed very quickly. And that's where it's kind of going. And regulating it, I think, is difficult because it's not like nuclear weapons, which just had a few nations at the time to come to some treaties, but it's going to proliferate to everyone in the world. And so data privacy is the issue of the next decade, I believe, for legislatures around AI. So basically, you're advocating for a Data Privacy Act, which we have not been able to do in the U.S., like the EU has done. And you're saying that that, I think, is very, very important. Now, Tim, you've run a very entrepreneurial and very successful company, and you use AI for national security. So how do you think AI legislation can strike a balance between fostering innovation, just like you have, in the national security sector, and then also preventing misuse or unintended consequences. Is it all data or are there other things also? Because there are bad actors who get access to it. But how can AI legislation strike a balance? I mean, the executive order from President Biden talks about bioterror and several of these other issues. But what are your thoughts how to strike that balance between innovation and national security? It's going to be hard. The democracy and the legislative process is uh, slow moving by design, right? So that one president, one term doesn't change sort of a foundational constitution. And when you have technological change, new AI algorithms changing every day, it's very difficult. You could almost use AI. I'll tell a funny story. We have a very deep tech company. We gave ChatGPT4, which is a free AI bot, we gave them two sentences about what our company did, what products we had. And we said, what should our roadmap be in 2024, our product roadmap? It listed 13 things that it said we should consider building. It mapped to all 10 things that we were, we our product managers, our humans, were planning to build in 2024. So AI taking all the data of the world in can really help. And so there's all sorts of arcane rules right now in Congress that you can't use AI if you're a legislator, assistant, or something like that, I think that needs to be broken down and they need to leverage the tools to keep up with the technology. That's number one. I think Congress needs and the government needs to embrace the technology, not shun away from it. The DOD has embraced the technology and they've created a set of five ethics principles that they use in the development of their AI. And I think those five principles are very good. And I think they're working very closely with allies and the world that everyone adopts those principles on a military basis. So that's a good thing. I think the biggest way to really control AI so that it doesn't take over the world and, and change our country and our freedoms uh, really revolves around something called quantum computing. And I'm not sure how 
familiar audiences with quantum computing, but AI, a lot of these algorithms were invented in the 70s, and now we have the compute with NVIDIA processors, et cetera, to actually do something uh, with these algorithms. Now the algorithms are changing. And our compute is about to take a quantum leap with quantum computing. Sorry for the duplication of words. But computers today, they use transistors, right? And so when you add another transistor and they make these transistors very small and silicon, your compute goes from a second transistor, doubles it, then a third, and you get three times and four times the amount of compute. With the qubit, which is quantum computing, is exponential. So it's two to the second, two to the third. Every time you add a qubit, it's two to the thousands, two to the thousandth and one. And so your processing capability is off the charts. And these computers are maybe just something you can hold in your hand, but the cooling systems, they get them down to very cold temperatures. So the electrons can compute at those speeds are huge computers. And you have companies like Google, IBM, Apple, China, U.S. government are bringing these to market. They've solved the hard problems. These will come to market in the next two or three years. So quantum computing coupled with AI, that's something that really needs to be monitored. Think of these Bitcoin miners mining Bitcoin with traditional legacy computers using transistors, getting a hold of a, a quantum computer. I mean, it just throws that system into a tailspin. Think of what it does to intelligent uh, systems that are running the banking systems and other systems of the world. Let me go back to the comment that people say they can just unplug it. I don't know if people in your audience know this, but the AI machines today write software. You can just type in, write me a program that, I don't know, draws a box or draws a picture or does this. It will write in less than 30 seconds, hundreds of lines of code that compiles and executes. So these machines, where that's going, these machines can be very self-learning. So they can be trained to go run a robot to create some task, and they get a reward system if they complete the task faster. These machines can write their own software and program their own brains. And they're not self-aware yet. The machines aren't there yet. But you can kind of see with the compute power, and the ability to write their own code where that is going. And so I think Congress should talk with a lot of consultants and figure out what they're going to do about quantum computing as it relates to AI. That would be something to do in the next two or three years before it hits. No, that makes sense. Tell me, you talked a little bit about international cooperation, but how does the international landscape influence our national approaches to AI legislation in context of security. Are there opportunities for global cooperation? I know we are doing the Quad, we've done the AUKUS, and we are really trying to create this connectivity on the four pillars of, basically the four pillars are uh, quantum computing, cybersecurity, AI, and space technology. But tell me how these international approaches, are they going to impact AI legislation in your view? You know, our government's great. We're, we're leaders of the free world. We were talking to everyone that will talk to us and trying to keep the world safe and prevent war and create treaties and programs and these types of things. Unfortunately, in our world today, the U.S. does have adversaries. Russia is our hot adversary today. We have China, which is a 
a global competitor for resources in Africa, the Middle East, India, across Southeast Asia. I mean, they're competing for their people, their economy, and we're competing. And so there's, there is no norm, there is no treaty, and it's an arms race, flat out arms race. Who can get there fastest with quantum computing and AI? Who can have the best algorithms? Who can censor the shooter? Who can get the most data? How can we get data from China to understand everything about their people and their society? How can Chinese with cyber try to get all of our data? Because data feeds these AI models and these AI capabilities. So it's, it's a full-on arms race right now, in, in my view, between U.S. and China. Okay. So tell me, what role does a public-private partnership or collaboration play in addressing national security concerns relating to AI? Do you think we can have le legislation that can facilitate effective partnerships? I know the Department of Defense has a long history of working with academia, working with commercial companies, things more recently. They've really doubled down on their cyber program. They have programs called AFWorks, SoftWorks, Defense Innovation Unit. These groups are working with companies like mine. It's a commercial company. Like our system was used uh, to protect the World Cup. And when you have international sporting events, things like the Olympics, et cetera, that's you know, where Fordham plays as a commercial company, all kinds of high-profile events where people are afraid of a drone disrupting their event. So that's what Fordham does. We use AI and robotics to, to solve the problem. And so we partner with the USDOD. They're a customer now. As public knowledge, we're deployed at Army bases. And that's all because of the USDOD public-private partnerships. And so we follow the rules that the US DOD wants us to follow with regards to our AI, where you always have a human, maybe not in the loop, but on the loop to stop and all the other ethical types of things that they ask that they're doing in the US and that they're asking their allies to do. Let's just shift to the topic of transparency and accountability. How do you think AI legislation can ensure responsible practices in national security applications without obviously compromising classified information. Is that possible? It's, um, I think it's possible, right? It's, I think it's absolutely possible. It's competitive right now. So you're talking about intellectual property rights. And so what you're really asking is when I sell something to the U.S. government, the U.S. government creates it, they want it to be, the word they use is governable meaning that all the algorithms, all of the ability to detect and avoid unintended harm, that's kind of well understood and that there's bounds that were created for the task you're asking your AI machine to do. And they want that to be transparent and visible. As a private company, you make that transparent and visible, you lose your intellectual property rights and people steal your ideas and and you create a whole bunch of competitors. And so there's all these discussions about putting these models into open source so everyone has access. But those types of things are governed within a country and a country's laws. And there's some international laws around intellectual property, but we haven't solved those intellectual property challenges between the U.S. and China. China spends more money on espionage and stealing U.S. IP than they do on their entire defense department. The stories I can tell you just here in 
simple Utah of the Chinese working with universities, trying to infiltrate my company and other companies and get intellectual property will astound you. The scope of which they're stealing U.S. intellectual property. And it's just, it's talked about a little bit, but not enough. I mean, that's what's kept us safe in the U.S. We always think about it's the oceans, Pacific and the Atlantic. No, it's our innovation. It's our technology and it's being stolen. Looking to make the most out of AI advancements and innovation? Visit regulatingai.org to learn more about how best to optimize the use and integration of AI and sign up for the Regulating AI newsletter to keep up to date with the latest in AI governance and regulation. So in terms of our national security agencies, in your experience, Tim, how receptive would they be to putting some regulatory frameworks around what is, is, do you have any experience or conversation in terms of how they are going to be receptive to regulatory frameworks around AI? Yeah, I, I, our allies, definitely I respect, would love regulatory frameworks around AI as long as they get the, the weapon or the defense capability. And so if you look at Ukraine, we're funding some advanced weapon systems, but not a lot of advanced weapon systems. There's always a fear in the U.S. of Russia getting a hold of those advanced systems and how do you track those systems and keep those secrets for the U.S. government. So, yeah, our allies are you know, willing to follow whatever rules the U.S. wants them to follow as long as they get the capability and we're all knit together as a NATO or a Five Eyes partnership. I think there's a lot of sharing, um, you know, there. So, Tim, just to shift conversation, there's a big debate on open sourcing or not to open source. There are two camps currently: IBM, Facebook on the open source, or others: OpenAI, Google, Microsoft on the closed source. What are your thoughts from a national security standpoint? Should we open source large language models? Yeah, uh, the companies. In my career, I've been in five Silicon Valley startups, right? And when you're the leader, you don't want to open source. When you're the follower, you want to open source. Because <laughs> you want the guy that's making all the money and the guy that's leading, you want all his secrets. And so I think open source in a free country is a question that should be left to each individual company. And sometimes there's advantages to a leader making part of their code open source so that they become the standard. Often it's solved through licensing where you can license technology. But you know these companies, we talk about countries competing, US and China competing for economic development, for the health of their people and their society and their way of life. Companies compete. I mean, we're, we're competing. We have to win business and get people to buy our system so that our hundreds of employees can pay their mortgages. And so... The world is a competitive place. It isn't, we just don't get all get checks from the government every month like my teenage daughter thinks we should. So you know, we have to compete to win and let the best technology, the best company, the people that work the hardest. I mean, that's the great principle of freedom versus what we're seeing in Ukraine. Ukrainians want the freedom, whereas in Russia, they just want the government to take care of them. And that's the real battle going on. And so... To open source or not to open source, I think it's, uh, it should be left to the company to make a strategic corporate decision for the interest of their business and their employees. 
Obviously, if you get into a monopolistic situation with the U.S. government, there are laws there, and that debate is healthy. And companies over in our history have gotten broken up to be able to foster competition, foster jobs. I think it's really about the nation, the United States, being able to prosper into the next century, being able to be competitive in the world. And monopolies often do not allow a country to prosper. And so our government plays a role with monopolies, but whether to open source or not open source, maybe is a little bit a part of that. But I think the bigger issue is around monopolistic behavior. Yeah, and we've seen that with social media, and that's a concern with AI. Tim, how do you see the role of AI in cyber defense? And what legislative measures do you think are needed to enhance cybersecurity in the context of AI? I think legislatures should make hacking illegal and have really stiff penalties, life in prison type penalties for stealing data, stealing IP. I mean, serious penalties. And we need to educate young people in high school about what it means to steal. We educate what it means to steal someone's pencil or steal someone's lunch money. But I think in the future, with data being the fuel for AI, we need to educate young people. You can't steal intellectual property. You can't steal other people's data. And that needs to be culturally something that's just very wrong in the legislatures that we're so hard on drug dealers, right? We need to be hard on people that are stealing data because it is really the, it's the feel for the, the weapons that our grandchildren are going to be facing. And so I think that legislation is important. I think government getting involved in the technology, they need to embrace AI so that the tools that prevent a cyber threat are AI enabled because, you know, those guys in Nigeria, not to pick on the great country in Nigeria, but it seems to be someone from Nigeria always calling one of your stuff and it gave Nigeria a bad name. But those folks are using AI to penetrate with your phone number. And there's a, there's an AI bot that looks like me, my face has my voice and does FaceTime with my employees, asking my employees to send me a gift card because I'm stuck at a trade show and I need to gift a gift card to a vendor. How's an employee looking at his phone with the, the leader of his company talking with his face, with his voice, say, okay, I'll, I'll text you the money. The, the attacks are so sophisticated, the defenses need to be sophisticated. And you know, our government, our legislatures need to fund that protection and penalize people that are doing those awful things. And we talk about sending special forces into Mexico with the drug cartels with the fentanyl problem. I can see our military really getting more and more involved in the cyber threat and bringing those people to justice, especially the non-state actors. So you made a couple of important points. One was you talked about education, especially at an early stage for students, government to point where people understand that uh, it's not cool to steal people's data or identity. And there are serious consequences of that that could harm you in your application to college or other future endeavors. That's one thing you made. And the second thing was you brought up the point of deep fakes. Tim, is deep fakes a national security issue? Yeah, it's a problem. I mean, people fall for it. Smart people in our company, smart people have set money and credit cards because it's it's pretty real and it's hard to know so well, it's also it could impact our elections too so then it becomes a national security 
Yeah, that's a good point, Sanjay. It's a good angle. I didn't think of that, but absolutely. And, you know, big conversations in the country about voting security. I think authorities have said that our voting security has never been safer and more secure. And, and I believe that based on what I know, working with government, selling and seeing how it works. And I think constant attention to that is as we look at new models for voting, we have the in-person, whether it's an ID or not an ID, or you have a mail, if they decide to do it another way electronically, wow, that's going to be really something. I, I'm always impressed when Iraq had their first elections, everyone had to dip their finger in ink to show that they voted once, right? The ink only would take a week to wear off. And sometimes those simple methods are the, the most secure, but not the most convenient. Tim, we are taking a little more of your time because you have so many interesting things. I wanted to ask you a question. DJI is a company that's a Chinese company that controls about 80 to 90% of the small drone market. I could be wrong with some percentages and you would correct me. And it's used and it's inexpensive. It's used world over. And obviously it has AI capabilities. Is that a challenge for us in national security in the U.S.? Because it's, forget the U.S., the federal government has banned the use of DJI here. But it could be in our allies and other places too. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's the same thing with TikTok. It's just a data collector. And it's feeling the weapons of the future. I'll give you a story. We were at an NFL stadium demoing our system. And we said, hey, we're going to go shoot down this DJI drone, capture it, and bring it back. They brought the DJ out and it wouldn't fly because the reseller in the U.S. programmed it not to fly near stadiums because the guy in the U.S. is a very responsible reseller. I said, well, we just want to, you know, is this is controlled. We want to fly it around the stadium and shoot it down. He goes, okay. He calls the 800 number of DJI, which gets him to some place in China. The guy in China presses a button to release the drone so it can fly around the stadium. These DJIs, they're turned on with batteries. Uh, just a simple message from China to a satellite would activate every DJI drone in America could, to go do whatever it wants it to go do. Pictures, observations, ISR. They're huge data collectors. TikTok is a data collector. It learns about the person's preferences, who the people are. Are they predisposed to love Israel, love Palestine, love China? What do they like, not like? Are they going to be someone that could be swayed in an election? Would they, if the Chinese invaded through Mexico, would they throw down their gun and say, okay, whatever, let's just give me my football and let me go to the dance Friday night? Or would they fight? This data gathering to understand over time becomes this, it's very futuristic, but Data is the fuel that fuels these AI with quantum computing. It's just astonishing. I, I told my wife, I saw an app startup, what they were doing was when you get in the car, it's going to predict the percentage chance you get in an accident when you're driving over one hour on a road because it would take the all the AI about who's on the road, what the car maintenance was, records for every car on the road, what their tires were on the road, what the weather was on the road, whether they were a drinker or not a drinker, whether they just came from a bar or they were coming from home, and it would just have all this data of everyone around you and give you a percentage of maybe you shouldn't be on the road right now or maybe you should and give you advice. So that's the power of all this data that's coming in and the compute power being astronomical 
to give you life-changing services in the medical world, life-changing services in your financial planning, in your relationships. These AI bots can help you through difficult problems with your kids and your marriages, just all these great things. But boy, on the battlefield and governments having control, there's a real downside. Those are very sobering thoughts. Tim, I want to really thank you for taking the time and providing our listeners with your insight on national security. And we'll continue to follow up with you on this, Tim. No, I'm I'm massively optimistic, right? There's people I think are naturally good. Some of them are evil, but you figure out who those are pretty quick. People want a good world for their families and their lives. We figured out nuclear weapons. We'll figure this out. There's going to be a lot of good that comes from us. And we just have to be vigilant. And I think it starts with data privacy. Very good words. It starts with data privacy and there are good people around and we're going to figure this out. So Tim, we'll be there as we figure it out along with you and we'll have you again. And thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Regulating AI Innovate Responsibly podcast. You'll find links in the show notes to any resources mentioned on the show. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review. 